This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to Analyzing Anfield. It's back after a five or six week hiatus. I'm your host Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. Josh, how are you doing first and foremost? I'm good. It's good to be back. It's, it's nice to, back to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? It has. Uh, just just a bit of a, a way of an apology, really. Um, we filmed uh, and recorded the first part of Analyzing Anfield, which was a, a bit of a pre-season special. Um, I think it was on June the 18th, and we recording this on July the 31st. Um, and we had a couple of tweets saying, where have you gone? And basically what happened was we recorded the first part and didn't actually realise that Josh was going away for three weeks on holiday. So first and foremost, how was your holiday? It was good. Um I did have a tan, but that's kind of worn off a little bit now. That's and, how long uh, it's been. Yeah, and this is getting videoed as well, isn't it? It is, so, yeah. Um, hopefully it shows up a bit still, <laughs> like, but I don't think it will. Um, but it was good, yeah. As Josh says, this is getting filmed. Um, you'll be able to watch these as well as listen to them now. You can watch them on our Blood Red YouTube channel. Um, I'd recommend it. It's just two, two lads basically going through the laptops and desperately scrambling to find some statistics. So we recorded the first part. Didn't know that it'd be a bit of a hiatus for the second part. Josh went away for three weeks. I've been away for two because I've been in the United States for Liverpool's pre-season tour. I've been launching some other projects, including Liverpool.com, which is a, a US... Um, leading um, Liverpool Football Club website but we're back we're here back in St Paul's Square Liverpool um, and we can crack on so if you haven't listened to part one of this basically I would implore you to do so um, it was on June the 18th and we listened uh, we, sorry we've spoken about uh, Manchester City we spoke about Tottenham and we spoke about Chelsea and what we did for, for that episode was cover what business they were doing and how it relates to Liverpool and what it meant for, for Jürgen Klopp and his side. Um, not much has changed from then. I think we were talking about Rodri at City and that's been done. We were definitely talking about Ndombele for, for Tottenham and both, that's been done. It's both superb signings. You have, okay, let's just really quickly touch upon Rodri and Ndombele then because I've seen a couple of people say that Rodri isn't what... Guardiola needs in his midfielder. Um, I think everybody has pretty much agreed on Ndombele, but what's your take on the two major signings from those two? Yeah, I think they're both superb signings, just very, very sensible, um, logical signings, whereby you've paid a fair amount, but you've got top bracket, really, for my in my opinion. Um, I think Rodri's six foot three. He's very intelligent, Um ahead of the curve in terms of the play that's going on the field so whereas Fernandinho's a bit more energetic and aggressive Rodri's a bit more plays more with his mind he'll offer something for them from set pieces um, things like that and he's just just a very clever player still very young speaks incredible English considering he's never played yet um, and he's just a, a very very classy signing and on Dombele you know I've spoken about him plenty of times on this pod very good player. Spurs played last season basically without a midfield. Harry Kane's took him back in to play in midfield to help out. Eriksen's took him back in so his creative output's getting influenced. Um, you're playing midfield diamonds to compensate. So, you know, how do you get around that? You're signing Dombele, you can essentially do it all. Um, so, yeah, two top quality signs from arguably our two biggest rivals there. 
And we will move on to a little bit later how what Liverpool are doing to respond to that, i.e. very little. Um but what we will do today then is 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 finish the the, the second part of, of our top six preview, if you will. Um and Arsenal and Man United have had a five week uh, chance of chance of, of you know doing more business than City, Tottenham and Chelsea. obviously Chelsea haven't done anything, it's worth saying, because of the transfer ban, although they did sign Matteo Kovacic on a payment deal. So we'll start with Arsenal. Um, we'll look at Man United and then we'll move into a couple of questions that you fielded on Twitter, Josh, um, which r- largely relates to pre-season um, transfers, of course, and, and the squad in general. So let's crack on. Let's begin with Arsenal. <clears throat> strange, strange season for them last year. We know that we're big on our underlying numbers on this podcast and their underlying numbers are eye-wateringly bad. Uh, they had fewer shots per 90 than Leicester, Everton, Southampton and Crystal Palace. And this is a team which contains Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexander Lacazette. So that's just one uh, point, uh, you know, a point of improvement. But in general, the online numbers, Arsenal should have finished 7th, 8th? According to expected points, they should have finished 7th, yeah, mm. behind Wolves. Um, but some of the underlying numbers are even worse than that. Uh, you just mentioned shots there. They finished eleventh for shots taken. Um, they finished first for XG per shot, though, which suggests that they're, they're almost searching for perfection there. Mm. Um, which is very Arsenal. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, if, if you can continue to do that whilst open your shot quantity, then that's a good mix. Do you know what I mean? But I think you know the fundamental aspects of football. You need to. Outshoot your opponent basically, you know, whilst um, restricting them to as few shots as they can, as you can really. And Arsenal just failed to do that. Um, they were ninth in the league as well for shots against, eleventh um, in the division again for XG against. So defensively bad as we know, but the narrative is that they're quite good offensively, which isn't necessarily true. Because you don't you don't shoot very often. Um, whether that's a deliberate ploy from Emery, whether that's a case of them not having enough profiles who are who are more intent on decisive output rather than nice football, um, you know it remains to be seen. But they just didn't shoot enough, and that's that's a real big analytical indicator of the you know the quality of the team, how many more shots you can take in general than the opposition. City, for example, at the top of the league, Liverpool, I think. If you if you include shots against and shots taken, Liverpool was second. Chelsea took very slightly fewer sh- uh, more shots than Liverpool last season, surprisingly. But Liverpool's was much better quality though. Liverpool finished second last season for XG per shot, so we were obviously essentially where Arsenal want to be. Um, I like Arsenal's business though. I think Arsenal's business is good, albeit with very weird stipulations attached to each of them. I tweeted that the other day. Um, I think Pepe, unbelievable sign. Uh, I'll touch on him a little bit later when we go to the uh, the Liverpool aspect of it. Um, but it's the, they've overpaid. You know, he's, 80 million is ridiculous. And I think his agents charging all kinds. And he's had a storm at his agents. He's been holding yeah. him out to any club whatsoever. Yeah, it looks like are still the ones who've, who've taken the bait. Yeah, well, that's happened with a couple of players. Bruno Fernandes is another. Matthias De Litt. Um So, yeah. It, and then... You've got William Saliba, again, superb signing. I think he's, I 
I think he's still 18, but he's really physically built. Um, good on the ball, all the traits of a modern centre back. Bit like a, it looks like a bit like a young Van Dijk. Um, but and, he, and he's already played something like 1,500 minutes in League One in France, um, despite his age and and things like that. So he's the type of person, type of profile who you know obviously invest in with future developing, developing him for the future. Um, yeah, as I said, he's a bit like a, a Varane Van Dijk type profile where he could he could essentially get to a point where he's got it all. Um, and then you got Danny Caballos, Danny Caballos. I'm not sure exactly how you say, um, but he he's again a quality player. That, but but they've got him alone, so it's a little bit frustrating. But he's a player who will do everything for them up until the final third. He's not the type to provide direct assists or score but everything beforehand ball progression dribbling um, controlling the play dictating the tempo he's very good at that kind of thing very Spanish player in that regard um, so he's yeah. all alike he's very he's all alike yeah. yeah yeah. they've missed not him haven't they not as two-footed mm. yeah. <laughs> um, but he's uh, yeah he's a, he's a good player so three good additions but they're getting one who's overpriced they're having to wait a year for the, for the other one and the other lad they're only getting for twelve months, so it's it's one of them. In terms of recruitments, is that is that the the the, the harsh reality of, of finishing fifth and not getting in the Champions League? Is do you have to make do? Do you have to? We we know as well that I'd, I'd, to be honest, I don't know where Arsenal have got the money from considering they were really haggling over Wilfred Zaha. Um, but it feels like this has absolutely blown their budgets now. Um, is it is this the the, the brutal reality that? You've got to sort of do what you can, you can do to to try and get back into that top four. I think th- what it is is they've they've been too desperate almost to get back into that top four, and I think they've suffered a little bit from fan pressure. Uh, every every fan base obviously wants their club to sign players and players and players every window. It's just what it's just a, a nice thing. I don't know. People just um, seem to be a bit di- addicted to it. Um, so when Arsenal were a bit shaky, they lost Alexis Sanchez. They obviously felt the need to make statements and go and sign Lacazette and Aubameyang, who are two good players, but they're both getting on. I think they're both over... I think certainly Aubameyang's over 29. I'm not sure on Lacazette, actually. It's worth checking that. 27, 28. Something like that, yeah. Uh, but they've over, they, they overpaid for the pair of them. Paid a lot for the pair of them. And now as, as a result, they got the hands tied behind the back without real long-term investment. So um, they're having to scrape the battle to an extent, and I think from a Liverpool perspective, that's one of the one of the good things that we've done over the, over recent years. We haven't really suffered at all from fan pressure. We wasted six months for Van Dijk, that kind of thing. Whereas we could have just dived in, panicked by panic bought a centre back, but we didn't. Um, so yeah, I think Arsenal have been very poorly run. I'd say really in terms of recruitments and the transfer window and that in recent years so I think they're suffering a bit from that but this window does look like they're starting to think more of a long term perspective now a bit more of a sustainable approach um, it's just the positive that Liverpool have been ahead of the curve on that for about three or four seasons now of course I, I wrote down here six weeks ago when we were putting this agenda together that they do need huge recruitment this summer um, I had a couple of numbers down 11 points more than the XG points or their the expected points total 
um, and they scored eight more and conceded six fewer. So there's a there's two there's two big overperformances there where they've got to try and meet in the middle. And if they don't, they, they they could drop. But that recruitment says that at the very least they can certainly maintain um, fifth and maybe not push on more. Um, I'll ask you for your source of your your prediction. I know you don't like making predictions, but it's, it's, you know your top four now. You see it going uh, just after we've spoken about Manchester United. Um, so I can't remember. I don't think they'd signed Wan Bissaka and Daniel James. I must admit, when I put this together, I thought Man United would have by this point done a hell of a lot more business. I can't believe that they've only signed two young British players, um, largely unproven. Although I am a big Wan Bissaka fan. Uh, but let's just talk about them in general and the season that they had first and foremost. It's hard to judge personally because they changed the manager in December. Um, so, you know, you look at the, the how, you know, the data and sometimes it's it split and skewered towards one or the other, Mourinho or Socia. But, you know, for the whole season, they conceded 11.65 shots per 90 minutes. Uh, and just as a bit of context, City conceded 5.32 and Liverpool 6.96, so nearly seven. But Manchester United, um, 11, 12 shots per 90 minutes. Uh, that's something that they've, they've clearly got to address at some point this season. Yeah, um, but it just stemmed from a, a bad season all round, really. Under Mourinho, they were just, they were just, the heads just weren't there and he was changing different personnel every single week. Clearly didn't know his best eleven, things like that. And then when Solskjaer came in, the they really overperformed for a couple of for, for about maybe twelve matches, something like that. Um, you know, the underlying performance suggested that the, the results that they were getting weren't really justified. And then, you know, when that's the case, XG usually comes back and catches up with you eventually. Problem is, it caused up with them too much, and they ended up by the end of the actual season underperforming. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just an absolute mess at the end of the season. Every single player was crippled. We remember the game against Liverpool at Old Trafford. They, they made something like three substitutions in the first half an hour, I think. Um, and I think interestingly, that stemmed a little bit from Mourinho and his preference for you know how how he runs his fitness regime and tactical periodization and things like that and apparently it's it's not boded too well for the current squad um, and they've had to really regenerate what they're doing there um, apparently they have done that this summer although that seems to be the usual narrative when a new coach comes in oh, he's, he's up to fitness regime and all that but just a positive thing that they usually stem you wonder if the first ever manager there just didn't have them doing anything because you know gradually every new manager brings a new fit uh, an improved fitness regime. So you know, God knows what Graham Sunessas was like at Liverpool because Julio Benitez, Dalglish, Hodgson, Rogers, and now Klopp have all brought in amazing new fitness regimes. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a different way, isn't it? It's just a different style of doing things. Yeah, it is. But uh, I think United have got a lot to work on this 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 season, yeah. and I think um, they could really finish. I mean, I don't want to say anywhere because obviously you've got to apply logic to it. I mean, it's within reason. But, you know, I spoke about Chelsea last time. The whole Lampard thing and how he finished much higher with Derby than he should have. Just mentioned there that Arsenal finished 11th for shots taken, 9th for shots against, I think. that That's um, allowing 
a, a lot of variance there. You're allowing a lot of variance in your matches. They're just getting away with it, I'd say, because of the quality of the players that they've got. But I think gradually, because of the recruitment, it, these teams are undertaking. I think that gap in quality has been closed. Yep. Um, I think if you was to make a combined 11 now between United and Leicester... Leicester have got a top four midfield. Leicester have got, got a one top of... four defence yep. as well. Uh, at present, you've got Ari Maguire, Ricardo Pereira and Ben Chilwell, who genuinely all three of them get in the most sides. Of course, by Champions League sides. Yeah, all yeah of them. top top players, yeah. West Ham even, you know, to San Sebastian Halle. Um Everton right up there, so I'm... I'm even going to try and pronounce his name, Moise Keane, is Moise, it? Moise Keane, but we've got to call him <laughs> Moise just because of David Moyes. So Moise, as, as somebody said, it's a shame that David Moyes isn't still Everton manager because then it'd be Moise's Keane on Moise Keane. But, but let's go with Moise Keane. And you, you mentioned there as well about United, United shots um, per match, uh, per 90, sorry. Did you say that was... a for or against the shots they took? No, the shots against. Right, the shots against. I'll get up there, shots taken now, just to see if he was in a, a surplus or not there. So they're basically conceding double the shots that Liverpool and City are, roughly, in a game. Yeah, which is just not what you want. Um, United, right. So, 12.26 shots per 90. So, they're having about one shot more than their opponents yeah. per match, which, again, you're just allowing tons of variance there. Um, I think City take about 10 more shots mm. than their opponents. Liverpool take about... Well, they're on for 14, yeah. Shots taken. So that's about 14, 7, 7 or 8, seven, yeah. yeah. So, you know, those little 1% where you want to um, ensure the results as much as possible, uh, that's that's largely to do with just getting rid of as much variance as you can, which is difficult in football because it's one of the most... It's one of the... Out of all the sports out there... Football incorporates that more than any. Um, but, you know, it's b- just because of those factors, it's just really difficult to predict where United, Arsenal and Chelsea are going to be this season. Um, on United signings there, though, you mentioned wan A couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of months now, we done a, a pod on Liverpool's recruitment. And I think we looked at right-back, I'm not sure, and I mentioned wan I said that I like him. That was in relation to strictly Liverpool, and that was because ahead of Wan Bissaka, we would have had Trent, who's you know far more technical than the average fullback. He offers a ton going forwards. So I liked Wan Bissaka because if we then would face Wilfred Zaha, for example, we could put Wan Bissaka in, take Trent out. Far more defensive minded. Far more defensive minded. More able to cope in isolation things like that um, whereas for United I don't know he's a good player I do like him really really good defensively really really good one on one but I think what they want to be they want to transition as far as I'm aware into a modern assertive dominant team who control a play attack a lot and all that and I think I think wan is not that Wan Bissaka's, you know, predominantly defensive, isn't he? He's not, he's not going to offer a great deal with possession, and I know that's an overplayed narrative, and sometimes they can get exaggerated. But he's he's genuinely there is truth in that. He's genuinely not that progressive on the ball and things like that. So, if United want to progress into 
that type of team. They've added a player who's gonna, if anything, push it the other way. So I didn't overly understand that. And and when they signed him as well, apparently the the alternative to him was Max Adams at Norwich, who's the polar opposite. Yes, he's English. Yes, he's young. But you're only identifying the person there, not the profile, not the type of player he is. So just the fact that United are linked with two completely different types of player there, a fullback, one's offensive-minded and the other one's predominantly defensive. Just, you know, it's it's just, again, United's recruitment being a bit hard to understand. I do like Dan James. I think he's a good sign. Lightning quick, which it sounds simpl- simplistic, but that, that offers a great deal uh, in attack. Um, 15 million, I think it was. Mm. Uh, I think he's homegrown as well. Um, so it's likely that, you know, even if he doesn't progress, that they're at least going to get the money back in, in a season or two. So I didn't mind that deal, but yeah, it's just for me to be seeing what, what they're going to do for the rest of the window. They actually finished under Solskjaer. If you take this the league from when Solskjaer began uh, as manager, they actually finished third on expected points, which is interesting because, as you say, they massively overperformed in, in the Champions League as well, to be fair. I mean, how they knocked out PSG is is, is, is insane. Um, but then they massively underperformed to the to the point that they were losing 2-0 at home to Cardiff on the final day of the season. <laughs> um, they were with Huddersfield as well, I think. Yeah, they did. On all, they, was or, it? Did, or did they get beat? They might have even got beat, yeah. Gone. It was definitely away, and I remember watching yeah. the second half of it. Can't remember the score, though, but it wasn't good. <laughs> no, yeah, it certainly wasn't a Manchester United win. Um, before we try and look at the top four and who's going to finish, not necessarily where, but who's going to finish inside the top four, um, is there any other business? You mentioned Sebastian Haller, um, Moise Keane. Is there any business there where you've gone, tell you what, that's... that's. I know you're a big fan of Louis Kelly as well um, for Bournemouth, but I don't think he's going to get them into the top four. No, alone. I want to clarify that one as well. I'm a fan of him as a profile. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be a fan of him at Bournemouth. Yeah. He will be made to look bad, is my yeah. prediction. Well, Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe is uh, as decent of a coach that he is, makes... Um, can, can make defenders look bad. And that's why I think Nathan Aki might be a really good uh, <laughs> really good defender because he, he doesn't look so bad under Eddie Howe. So is there anyone, West Ham, Wolves, uh, Watford, don't think Watford have signed many people actually, uh, Everton, is there anybody around where you've gone, wow, that's a, that's a sign and a half there. Leicester as well, um, of course. Put me on the spot with this one, I didn't expect this question. Yeah, sorry. I, I, just know, I know that all summer you've been basically writing about everybody who's been getting recruited. So just you know, off the top of yeah, your head, I is think- there a player? I think a lot of the obvious signs are really, really good. Um, Rodri's one, and Don Blee's one. Sebastian Alla is a player that I really like. He offers a lot, bit of a complete striker. Did well with Frankfurt in the next Jovic. He did, yeah, and his um, his goal involvement, so assists and goals. Um, you know, in terms of minutes, so his average scoring contribution was something like. Every 113 minutes, maybe, which was, I think it was better last season in the Premier League by only able two strikers. I think one was Aguero, um, the other one might have been a Bamiyang, I'm not sure. Um, so he's definitely a good signing. Uh, Salib was good, Pepe will be superb. Um, let's have a look. Moise Keane, I thought was that, 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 that was a surprise. Give us a little bit of what, I, I, I must admit, I haven't seen much of him. Is this... No, he's just... Um, how's he ended up at Everton? With, with no disrespect to Everton, but he's meant to be this wonder kid at Juventus, and Juventus's recruitment, or more more so, would go in the other way. Obviously, there's Dybala, 
there's um, Manzuka too they're trying to get rid of and now Moise Keane what, what's going on there well, is he going to be a good signing for Everton I think he's going to be a good signing yeah I think what Juventus are doing is a bit mad um, and I'm not sure if it's particularly well advised to be honest because he seems to be happy to get rid of Dybala who's 25 Moise Keane who's I think 19. he's 19 yeah meant to be the next big thing as well mm. Um and they seem to be really stockpiling uh, tons of players who are on big wages, maybe getting on a little bit as well. Ronaldo's getting on, Manzuka's just getting on. Um, I mean, they potentially might get Lukaku going the other way if, yeah, if, if, well, if he goes be on a big wage. Um, so I don't know. It looks like they're just trying to go. They're just going all in and all into in the Champions League, um, and they've just lost Allegri as well. And. They've got Sarri in. Now, Sarri, Sarri's good. I like Sarri. But he has, he offers no, um, what's the word? He doesn't care in the slightest about what type of profile you are. He'll just, he'll fit you into his, his system. He, he, you know, Square pegs, round holes. That, that's what I was looking for, yeah. That. Um, don't get me wrong, he'll pick who's vaguely the most suitable to each role. But there'll be very few alterations based on your own personal tendencies and things like that. So, for events to sign so many players, you know, a lot of variants. Lukaku on the Sari feels a bit oh, weird. It feels like Higuain, doesn't it? I mean, he's, he's, he's yeah. a bit more mobile than Higuain, but... But Lukaku's... I like Lukaku's good, but he's, he's a bit technically awkward. Mm. Uh, sometimes looks a bit uncoordinated. Um Obviously, you can't have that in the Saudi system. It's a lot about ball progression, a lot about control, um, possession, and things like that. So, I don't know. Juventus is a bit a bit crazy, and they seem to be Everton seems to have um, exploited that um, very cleverly. I think I'm not sure if there'll be a buyback on that. Apparently not. Or, but there's a first refusal. First refusal, yeah, something along them along them lines. Hence why they're getting them for a reduced fee. And I think he's only got one year left on his deal as well, which is another reason why he's relatively cheap. Um, but I think last season after I get it up now I think he scored he didn't get a single assist but he didn't play that many minutes and he scored something like the figure in my head is either 17 or 28 there's a fair amount of difference there um, but yeah he's just he's, he's just very talented player you can, you can tell when you're watching him play he's very talented technically very good strong quick Um Conversion rate's good as far as I'm aware. So last season, all competitions, just wait for Rice goes to load. He played, he only played 1,660 minutes. Mm. Yeah, 17 it was, yeah. So he scored 17. Getting up his shot map here now. I think his shot map's fairly decent, a lot in the penalty box. Yeah, things like that, yeah. Not sure if the cameras can see that. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 we'll figure this out as we go along, how yeah. we can get all this sort of thing on screen. Yeah, yeah, I'm not used to being filmed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's a good son. Although, um, to be fair, I'm just having a look at his... So, you know, in in, in Serie A, there, it's uh, two, three, four, five, six. He scored six goals in seven games, and that's it. In terms of, in a seven-game spell, he scored six goals. Oh, okay, yeah. And there's purple patch. And don't get me wrong, I mean, it's a good purple patch because he played twice before he played against Udinese and scored twice. Um, so it looks to me as if Juventus have just absolutely thrown him in. Um, in, in March, 
And from that moment, he goes on and scores two, three, four, five, six and seven. And then he's back in and out the team for the last five, six games of the season and, and, and doesn't score. So yeah, it, I'd say, it, it's a gamble, but it's... It, I'd say it's a very, very clever gamble, personally. Mm. Though for 30 million to get a player who's that young with such a complete all-round game, you know, he's got a really, really high seal on him. Mm. Um, the only problem is if he does reach ridiculous levels... Juventus have got a fair refusal on him. Mind you, is it, a fair refusal is not related to a fair, is it? No, 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 no. It's so basically what happens if Everton are about to sell him to, let's say, Real Madrid. For 100 million? Yeah, they've got to give Juventus a bell and oh, say... Oh, OK. Oh, well, that's not too bad then. Mm. That, see, that's that, that, that's a great deal. Um, Bournemouth recently as well signed Philip Billing. I think that was a good deal, mm. 15 million. Um, very physical in midfielder from Huddersfield, who, you know, obviously... Struggle to thrive with the players around them. Although, again, with Bournemouth, it, it, they're all over the place for me in terms of they're spending fifty million on a position where they broke the record transfer fee twelve months ago. It feels like on Jefferson Lerma. It, it just feels like yeah, it's kind of supermarket sweep where they don't really <laughs> know where to, you know they just see good players and they just stockpile them and they just decide how to, it doesn't really feel like there's any sort of yeah design there. It's just let's buy good players to keep our heads above water, which which they do to be fair. Um, Ayosi Perez went to Leicester, didn't he? Yeah, I think a lot of people were a bit confused by that one, but um, he's very, very good defensively. He, he puts in—he's a bit like a Firmino in that regard. He puts in a shift, and he's technically good. Scored a decent amount of goals in a very, very defensive team on the Rafa and Newcastle. So I think that's one to watch. That thirty million for Ayosi Perez sounds a bit mad, but I think it's one that could, you know, under Rogers, he's, Rogers tends to be quite good in terms of getting the most out of attackers and their little tendencies and attack and stuff like that. So I think he'll be decent. Um I would have been interested in him at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Perez. Yeah. As as a as the ultimate sort of and we'll move on to this, but as the from free player who will cost about twenty to thirty million, who won't be on big wages and won't expect to play every week. He felt like somebody Liverpool could have looked at. He's yeah, gone to yeah. Leicester for that price. Well more as well centre back for Villa. I've wrote about him before, Conce. Yes, yes, Charlton, the young Charlton lad. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I wrote for Villa a couple of months ago, I think it was March, on what their perfect window would be. Mm. Um, and I recommended Conce. And he's now signed. Um, so that's obviously positive on my on my To, to go I along think. with your left-backs. Yeah, um, if, the, if you haven't heard the, the, the previous episode when, when we were basically linking left-backs with Liverpool and who they should go for, if I remember, we had Angelino, who's yeah. now gone back to Man City. We had Lloyd Kelly, who's gone to Bournemouth. And I think I threw in Justin James, who's just gone to Leicester at an £8 million deal. He's a really good signing, yeah. Yeah, so... Great signing, though. Yeah, um, if, if you want defenders, come, come to us. Yeah, um, but I think Villa's signing... Villa's business order than that is a, is a bit. <laughs> it mental. could be. It could be Fulham. It could be Fulham all over again. It could be, yeah. But uh, I don't know. Some of the signings are just like I wrote about that Trezeguet guy, and he's um, pitcher Andre Scherler. Mm. He's basically that shoots from anywhere, a bit mad, might score two from forty yards and end up on a load of FPL teams, mm. but then won't do anything for about ten weeks. Yeah. He's a bit all over the place, like uh, so. It, it'd be interesting to see how they do this season. But this year, the table could be could be in, I think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll do a bit of a season preview next week, but it'll mainly be Liverpool. So we'll, we'll touch upon it now. Who's getting top four? 
I think City, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea. You think Chelsea gets off four? Yeah, purely because of the squad. Not because of particularly rate Lampard, but because I think Chelsea I think Chelsea have still got that gap in player quality. I think Arsenal are losing that, United are losing that. Remains to be seen what business at this at this stage yeah, they course. will do. So obviously I'm speaking right I'm speaking yeah. today. Thirty first of July. Yeah. Um but I, th- I still think Chelsea have got a very good all round squad full of pros and things like that and um I think they they may be like a a bit in attacking areas. But I think Tammy Abraham will get a go this season. And I'm a big fan of him, I think he'll do very well. Um but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, and ask me again after the end of the window. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will do. We, we will do the uh, the post win window podcast as well. Um, just in general, then over who's going to overperform, who's going to underperform. I don't mean in terms of underlying numbers. I basically mean who's going to exceed expectations and who's not going to meet them in the whole league. Mm. Oof, uh, I think I'm not sure about Wolves. Um, I think Europe might might scupper them as well. Yeah, they've got a small, small squad. squad yeah, uh, and beyond what they already had last season, they've only added Katsonek uh, from AC Milan. Decent sign. Well, talked about him the other day, but he's um, you know not going to bring them on to a, ne- a next level by any means. I think he's, he adds a little bit of depth. That's fine, but I ju- I'm just not sure that they're going to be able. To, like their season's already started. Now, I think it started about two weeks ago, in fact, mm. I'm not sure. Um, so, I'm not exactly sure that people think they're going to be challenging the top top four and things like that this season because of what they've done last season. But I've just, I, I think they might eventually do it, but just I don't, I'm not sure that'll happen this year. And overperforming, I think Spurs will have a very good season providing they add to what they've already got. The link with Los Celso and the link with Sessignon. Um, and Dybala. <laughs> yeah, and Dybala, yeah. Um, so if if they can add, I think Spurs will have a very good season. I think Ndombele is the type of player, like a Van Dijk, Allison type player that does push you on to the next level and heightens your ceiling. Uh, I think Leicester will have a very good season. And possibly Everton, but again... It's too. It's just guesswork at the yeah, minute, just because you don't know who's going to sign. Like, okay, so let's not go on guesswork. Let's go on what we know and what we know best, and that is Liverpool. Um, I say we we began this first part five weeks ago, so it was always meant to be about Liverpool's rivals. But of course, a lot has happened at Liverpool since then. Uh, not necessarily in the transfer market. They've signed Seb Van den Berg, uh, the young Dutch defender, as you know, and or Harvey Elliott. Um, who's a 16-year-old from Fulham. Talk about transfers in a little bit, Josh, but first of all, you put out a little shout-out on Twitter, and if you want to follow Josh on Twitter, it's at Distance Covered, and he asked you know, any questions for Analyze Anfield, and the first one was, pre-season, what has gone wrong? <laughs> and can you can you just sum it up any better? What, what's gone wrong? This is someone who's been in the US and watched a number of those games. <laughs> Someone who knows how you will have seen the Napoli game pre-season, what's gone wrong? I just think it's, um, it's Klopp's the type of manager that he likes a small squad. He doesn't like, you know, dealing with players who aren't necessarily going to be involved a great deal. Um, and I think 
ultimately, when when we rotate our team, and when players play that aren't used to being in a club system, specifically in attack, we just look like we we look like a gang of strangers. We look like we lack rhythm, understanding, cohesion from back to front. Um, when you lack cohesion from back to front, you if you press. You're going to leave gaps. You need to be compact to press, and you're not going to be compact if there's a lack of understanding among, amongst the eleven on the pitch. And I think, like, when whenever we seem to play in the domestic cups, I'm thinking Wolves last season away. I think it was the FA Cup, was it? Yeah. We again look like a gang of strangers. We look like we don't know each other, and the reason for that is again these these players just ultimately don't really play with each other. They don't really get that much game time. Um, so when you involve them, as I said, there's just a lack of cohesion. And Liverpool are really de- everything about what Liverpool do is a base based on one unit. You know, unity, everything being done in unison. And if that's not happening, you you're much more likely to be picked off. You're going to be much more open. You're going to concede many more shots and things like that. So just the fact that we've been including the likes of Ryan Kent, Brewster at this point is not fully ingrained in the system. Harry Wilson, um, you know, the midfielders that have had opportunities, Nath Phillips, players like this. It's just a, it's just lacking that cohesion, lacking that organisation that we, we are so good at having. Um, obviously, the front three, the absence of those is, leaves us a bit toothless up front. I don't think we've got, like, um, backups anywhere near the front three and we'll, you know, we'll address that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's it's anything that's overly, that we overly need to worry about because we see it in the Mr. Cups, as I've said. Could be, it's just it's just a lack of understanding amongst the 11 on the pitch. They're not used to playing together. They, you know, all, all those little intricacies. And another thing worth mentioning as well, we've got no Alisson. Um, and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the introduction of a new keeper, the introduction of Alisson, I think above all else, impacts results rather than performance to an extent. I think having a top goalkeeper just massively impacts results above performance. Um, two seasons ago, De Gea had a wonderful season, overperformed by about 13 goals. United finished second as a result. This season, we bring Allison in over Mignolet. We end up getting 97 points, you know what I mean? So there's all kinds of other factors influencing that. But I think a top goalkeeper really has an impact on the results that you get. And I think if we had Allison in this pre-season, maybe he'll have gotten a, a couple more draws, maybe a win. I'm not. I'm not too sure. And I don't. I don't think the, uh, the situation would look as grim. But I don't think it's it's anything to worry about to be too concerned about once once we have our our usual eleven back back on the pitch. So second question. Um... Do you think, not taking injuries into consideration, our squad is good enough to challenge for the title again? Is standing still a step back regarding a lack of transfers? This could be a long question. <laughs> is, this, is this a separate pod? Well, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's, there's so many perspectives you can look at. Um, Job is throw mine in straight away. Yeah, go on. I yeah. think Liverpool absolutely do need to sign somebody, but I also think this is the worst window to possibly try and do it. Because right. there are specific players that Liverpool need and they're just not available. Right. And they're not a club who 
stockpile for the sake of it. And that's why they are where they are now, because they haven't done what other clubs have done and stockpile for the sake of it. I think what I'll say is Liverpool last season, 97 points. We lost once. And I'm going to say that again. We lost once in 38 matches. Lost once. And that was two. Manchester City. Manchester City. 98 points. Um, We're the fittest team in the league. Fastest team in the league. That is not going to change. So, Liverpool is still going to be the animal that they were. The difference is, you can't really... It, it, it's hard to um, to gauge the influence that a new signing can have on a squad in terms of hunger. And, you know, if a new lad comes in, you, you want to impress, don't you? you want, it, it, it does give you that push, the competitive edge kind of thing, where you want to keep your place and all that stuff. So, the fact we haven't done any of that, you don't know the influence that that's going to have. And um, I do think we... My major thing is we, we really desperately need another attacker who is roughly on the same level as the front three that we've already got. Avigi is not. Shakiri is not. Uh, Brewster is not yet. I've got no problem with Brewster playing a fair amount of minutes this season. You know, borderline 2000 for me, I've got no problem with that. Um, I like the way he links play. I think he's got a very high ceiling as as a Firmino type. Um, I'm not sure he's particularly a Salamane, you know, pacey wide attacker who's going to cut inside. But I think he, 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 I like the way he links play with his first touch and things like that. Um, it's just it's just such a tricky, a tricky situation to assess completely. Um, I think last season we deserved to be where we were, and I think this season would have to be really. We'd have to drop off a cliff to finish anywhere below second. Do we think we can challenge and win the league? No. No, <laughs> no right. I don't. The reason for that is we we deserve to be where we were last season. But the gap shouldn't have been one point. It should have been about seven. That's, that's with expected points as well, isn't it? And yeah, in terms of XA, XG. Yeah, it's City at an absolute... Analytics dream. They create plenty more shots than whoever they face. And the shots that they do create are always very, very clear cut. The ball's always pinballing around in very, very crucial areas around the penalty box. They've got depth in abundance. The, the best manager in the world for that specific type of play and for that specific team. He's, also, he's absolutely ideally suited to beating teams that are bad, basically. Um, so, you know, for us to win the league over them, they'd have to have a serious distraction, I think, in the Champions League or, or something like that, or we'd, we'd have to go again another season, losing maybe once or losing a few more times, but winning many more rather than drawing. Um, it's just... It's just... <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky. You, what, what was the um, the second part of that question? So the second part was, is standing still a step back regarding the lack of transfers? Yeah, on on that, I think I I always do everything I can to, to understand from the club's perspective before you know expressing whether I'm annoyed or not. But on, on that, I I really can't. 
really get my head around not going further, do you know what I mean? Not, not Using the status as European champions as well, yeah, do you yeah, think that just, plays a part? Is there, do you think that's where a little bit of the annoyances and, and ultimately this is a you know a show based on the steeped in analytics um is that the wrong way to look at it because do clubs think about that do clubs think we're champions of europe we have to make a sign and is that is that bad recruitment bad recruitment is is signing players you don't need yet like well I'll, I'll mention pepe now um pepe is a player who is very very liverpool he's as i tweeted this through the day he's perfect age very direct, very erratic. So in terms of the style of play, he suits us to a T. Very unpredictable on the ball, so he allows us to impose our chaotic brand of football, let's say. Um, he's versatile, he can play on the right side where Salah plays, and he is also vaguely capable through the middle in a similar way to how Mane did it last season. Um, he's quick, physical, never gets injured, scores, creates good on the break and he shoots an awful lot as well they're all you know in, from a recruitment perspective they're all ideals they're all that, that's exactly what you want the problem is he cost 80 million now from a Liverpool perspective is our need for a fourth attacker worth 80 million from the club's perspective it's obviously not and I I share that belief I think as much as I want Pepe and as much as we need a player like Pepe, he's our, our void just isn't worth that amount. That's Van Dyke level difference. As you that, said about Ndombele, it's that next level. Yeah, and he's not going to yeah. take us to the next level per se. Um, he's not going to make have an impact on the on the first eleven and have an impact on results in the similar in, in, in such a manner as Van Dyke and Allison have. Mm. They both justified those big fees for that reason. Pepe, I'm sure, would love him. I'm sure the club would love him. Klopp would love him. But we just can't justify that price. And Liverpool are, Liverpool are where they are because we've made such good decisions. Really, really, really efficient. Zero wastage and things like that. And, you know, would Pepe, considering the minutes that Salah's going to play, like one of the other questions I got through was about minutes. How many, how many minutes I think it said would would we expect our fourth attacker to play this season? I think a quality fourth attacker at Liverpool this season, you'd you probably look at about 2,000 to 2,500 minutes, something like that. Um, Salah last season played 4,586, we've got. Only 34 of those were in the domestic cup. Mane played 4,538, only 71 in domestic cups. Firmino, 3,582, 3, but only 50 in domestic cups. So, all these shouts about, you know, winning seven competitions this season. One of them competitions is in a couple of days, so you can discount that one. The Club World Cups, two matches. So, you know... That's more travel disruption rather than... And, yeah. and, and the backlog yeah. of, of fixtures rather than the actual two ninety minutes because... Without being disrespectful, the first the semi final will be against probably the champions of Africa or Asia, and then you're looking at the champions of South America. It's not it's not going to be a yeah a, a taxing game. Certainly the first one. Yeah, I think what I'm getting at is I don't think there's going to be an expectation on on the front three shoulders to play in seven competitions this season because mm. people are saying that and without without context. 
what I do think the expectation will be is that the three can do last season again, whereby playing a full Premier League season in virtually 38 games without getting injured and the same in the Champions League. The, the real problem with that is the lack of rest that they've, that they've had. They, they all three played over the summer, including last, uh, you know, our full season last year. So it's just a big risk that I don't personally think we need to take and I'm surprised that we're taking. Uh, and that's why I just think we could just add a, a fourth attacker who's just who's better than Rigi and more suitable to our game than Shakiri because he doesn't work particularly hard and you know something like that. Um, you know, by all accounts, the club has paid a, a great deal out in 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 new contracts and in um, bonus winnings for the mm. for the Champions League. So. And we obviously spent big last year, so for those reasons, we've obviously had to cut back a bit. Now, if we if we was diving in like Arsenal did with Lacazette and Aubameyang, we'd be in in a bad state a couple of years down the line. So, I think our current position now, we've got a very versatile small squad that can compensate for a variety of positions. Say Mane gets in, you can put Ox over there if you have to. He hasn't not been like, great in pre-season out wide. No, he hasn't. It's not ideal. Don't get me wrong, but we do have those internal solutions. It's just a case of whether we have to, that we really have to put ourselves in a position whereby we we have to we have to do things like that. But I don't know. It's 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 a difficult situation. I can understand both both sides of the arguments. I don't think we need additions. We I think we have enough there to to go one more season. But when I say go one more season, we we I can't see us win the Premier League and. Um, I just I can't see us going going any better than we, than last year. Certainly, I think last year is is the max we can hope for this season coming, unless unless we had further. Um, it's just a, a, a difficult situation. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Liverpool obviously at times do their recruitment twelve months in advance, um, and you do wonder as well whether there is some sort of. I'm not saying Mbappe 2020, but you do wonder if in you know in a year's time whether Liverpool at that point Milner will be a year older, Lallana's contract will have expired, Dejan Lovren will be 31, the front three will all be 28, 29 at that point. You talk about running the front three into the ground. Well, you know, and this isn't a suggestion. This is no you know inside knowledge. Are they not too concerned about that because maybe one of them? Salah Firmino might be looking to get sold. I don't know. I don't want to put that out there as a as a this is definitely happening. You just wonder. Um, well, I think if Salah was getting sold this summer, for example, I think would be absolutely all over Pepe mm. for that fee. Eighty million would be fine. It's just a case of although I said Pepe's versatile and he can play through the middle. He plays Salah's position. He is a Salah. Yeah, he's so similar to Salah. He's just a bit more. He's taller. Um. A bit less creative, a bit less uh, of a poacher, and he's a bit more of a Zaha type. I'd mm. say he's like a a hybrid of Salah and Zaha, but he's still really, really good, and he's the best possible replacement we could get out there for Salah. I just think with him being very much a Salah, you don't want to spend eighty million on a Salah backup. No. Um, if he was to play up front in place of Firmino, it, it's not the not dynamic the dynamic yeah. that Firmino provides. 
you can put him. You can say someone said to me this week, play him, give him a thousand minutes or something like that on the left. No. Salah, how many times has Salah played on the left yeah. to Klopp? It's not something he does. And it doesn't work. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. That's not how he. How yeah, he it's, unre- it's unrealistic. Um, this is the problem in general with with this summer, and I think this is actually having a big impact. You look at the right hand side. And you've got Salah, you've got Wilson, you've got Shakiri. They've just signed Elliot. He was obviously one for the future. If you could get a, if you, if Pepe was a mirror image, and if Pepe was a rightful player on the left, I think it's, I think Liverpool would be banging for him because they've only really got Sadio Mane on that left hand side who can cut in on his right foot. But it really feels a little bit right side heavy at the moment. Um, and if Mane was to get injured, I think Liverpool would be in a fair bit of bother because. There is no real direct replacement, whereas at least if if Salah got injured, I mean, I think it's a big drop-off. It's too much of a drop-off, but you're looking at Shaqiri and you're looking at Wilson. So I feel like that is is a, is a big part to play as well, the fact that Pepe is that type of player. Yeah. What Liverpool needs, and I suppose we'll come on to this as, as, as question number three, is if you could add one player to the squad, one realistic late signing that we could make this year that could fit into the squad... And you think will improve us and not just be a solid bench warmer? For me, it's a player who can play on the left of the front three, but also do a stint up front to give Firmino's legs a rest. So we're almost an upgrade on Origi. I've got no problem with Origi still being here. I think he's a Liverpool legend. I think he's still got an important thing. We know about his conversion rate. Um, what was it, forty-one percent? He ended up with last season. He's not far off it this season, uh, this pre-season as well. But I think you need that player, as you say, who who can challenge in the front three, but specifically who can challenge Mane. I think it's, having not watched much at all of him last season, I think it's probably Timo Werner. But it, it surprises me that he's got one year left in his contract and there doesn't seem to be any movement whatsoever well, for him anywhere. That, that's what I was going to say. It's definitely worth noting. What's that all about? That all, all the rumours that were surrounding Werner. I've been completely silent for the whole summer. You've got one year left on his deal. Leipzig, by all accounts, wanted to sell him because they've got to cash in the type of club that can't afford to let players go for free. That's completely silent. I find that very, very weird. Mm. Surely um, Bayern would want him. Yeah, and yeah, I think... I know what, that sounds really simplistic, but surely Bayern Munich will be... I mean, they've done it with Lewandowski. They've done unless, it with... Like, unless they know they can't get him. For whatever reason, I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's very weird. And I spoke before as well about Liverpool being super efficient and things like that. W- waiting a year to get him on a free would be extremely clever. Um, it epitomised Liverpool's business in the past couple of seasons because that would be very, very shrewd, clever business. It just means we're going one more year just risking that. That risking the health of the front three, and it's worth saying as well, though, that like it, it's unlikely that two or three of those players in our attack are going to get injured at the same time. So let's say say Mane gets injured for a couple of, for about five games, then Brewster comes in for five games, or Origi comes in for five well, you games. You move Firmino out to the right, to the left, which isn't ideal, but and then yeah. you move or Shakiri comes in yeah. for five games. You still got Alisson behind you. You still got Fabinho there. You still got Van Dijk there. Still got Salah. Still got. Fabinho. So, is it really going to impact us that much? One player coming out for three or four games, maybe. It'd only really kill us if it, if it was like a De Bruyne esque injury, whereby the player was persistently out for a long period of time, and his 
you know, his, his numbers couldn't be made up for over an extended period. Um, another bit of context I'd like to provide is some some of the people's answers to me on Twitter have been sign Pepe and change the formation. Um, I think that's an unrealistic shout. Simply, so what what would that be? That would be Firmino as the ten, Salah is up front, Pepe no, and Mane. That'd be oh sorry yeah yeah sorry, Pepe and Mane on the flanks yeah. Um, so I think I think that's realistic against lower teams like we saw last season with um, you know Shakiri coming in to play against the, the 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 inferior teams just to break them down simply. But then I, th- I think it's you know you've got to put into perspective that. Klopp has worked on four three three for about three seasons now. That is that's Liverpool. That's just the way we play. That's that's our system that he's ingrained over years and years and years with a, a, a set group, a set base of players. All of them players fully understand that system. So after a ninety seven point season where you've lost once and you've won the Champions League, to then go and change your formation is just you know it's unnecessary. Really, it's 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 just. I, it's, when I say it's unnecessary, it's just I just don't think it's that much of a realistic shout. I just I just I don't think it's going to happen. That's why four one four one in pre-seasons jarred so much because it's yeah. And I think he's just doing that because he's getting minutes in the bank for players, and this is the system that makes sure that Oxley Chamberlain can get those minutes. But yeah, he's 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 always going to be four three three, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's a four. Yeah, he is. Um, but I think for the upcoming season, I think I think the squad's got enough to get us through another season. I'd be surprised if we finished lower than second, even the way we are now, without any more signings at all. I'd be surprised if we finished lower than second. Um, again, the Champions League, we just seem to be a different animal in that competition. Klopp seems unbeatable in that competition. We still have Anfield in that competition. We're now uh, in the first pot as well, so our group should be easier. Um, so I'd fancy us to do well again. I, I just think... I think if we go in as we are now, the best we can hope for is last season. Whereas if we'd have strengthened further, you then open up the prospect of going one better. That's that, that's the frustration, I think. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not going to drop off a cliff. Liverpool is still going to be firmly in the top two in, in England. Um, I'm just not sure whether we're going to be as close to City. That just remains to be seen. I think City, as I said, are just ideally suited to ideally suited to win the leagues under Guardiola. I agree. I, I I can't see Liverpool win the league next season, which is I don't know. It, it might be defeatist, but I think even with Pepe, though, it would really be a long shot, mm. a long shot, because as I said, City are just absolutely one nine eight over two seasons. Yeah, they are. They are, as I said, the the analytics dream. For the, for the team, they are what you want a team to be doing, with the exception of making the most of set pieces, which they have now apparently recruited mm. uh, people that work on set pieces behind the scenes. So they're just, you know, they're a very difficult team to amass more points than over the course of a season, um, even with additions. And another thing as well, if we'd have signed another attacker, our pre season would have still went as it's gone because we'd have still been, you know, m- mainly. Lacking cohesion, mm. lacking compactness, and all that, all them things. Let's say they signed Pepe. He was with the Ivory Coast. 
in the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. he will only be coming this 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 week as well. Yeah, we still have the best def- the best defender in the league in the world for me. We still have the best goalkeeper in the league, possibly in the world for me. Um, our front three are still ridiculous and still extremely healthy. They're not prone to injuries at all. Um, they still have Trent and Robertson. You know what I mean? It's it's still very much Liverpool. We're not. We haven't lost our team. We haven't lost anybody. Um, we've had a few very very talented kids, who people think they're not going to make that much of a difference. As I said, if you if you've still got ten of your usual players, and then you throw in Harvey Elliott, that that team's still going to be ridiculous because mm. you've still got everything there. Ninety percent of ninety five percent of what you usually see, with the addition of a very talented kid. So, it just depends how we manage it. But Liverpool are a very, very smart club, the smartest in the world for me at the minute. The way we've been running recent years and things like that, ahead of the curve, I think Liverpool are. So, although it's worrying, although it's concerning, you'd like the clubs to go that extra mile and sign, you know, try and get the Premier League sorted. I think it's safe to say that ultimately the club do know what they're doing. You know what I mean? We're in good hands. You'll have to try and tell that to a couple of people on uh, social media. The way it's it's uh-huh. it's going, there's a lot of hashtag FS gout that uh, <laughs> that we're seeing at the moment. Um, thanks very much, Josh. Just really, really quickly as well before we before we finish for good uh, for this week, and we will be back next week. We won't be going on a five week hiatus. Um, it's the Community Shields. Does it matter? And are you slightly worried Liverpool could get tonked by Man City? Because I am. I'm not sure we'll get tonked. I think we'll go. Very cautious. I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if for the first couple of weeks of the season we um, focus on trying to win matches using the defence rather than the attack because we haven't really got an attack at the minute. Um, does it matter? If you win it, yes. <laughs> That's what Klopp said. If it, it, but he's right. He's absolutely spot no, on. No, he says said the other way. He said if you lose it, it matters, and then if you win it, no one cares. Oh, okay, yeah. I know no, you, yeah. No, yeah. I completely understand. I completely understand where he's coming from. Because if we do lose, there will be probably uproar, mm-hmm. and people think it, it offers a platform for the rest of the season. Which, if both teams had their absolute full elevens, then maybe so. But Liverpool are going to be far from the Premier League team. We're going to see for the rest of the season. So. I'm not, I'm not that fussed. Would I like us to win it? Yes. If we don't win it, I will not be bothered in the slightest. Yeah, it's just that you'd have to get the sextuple instead of the, uh, yeah, the septuple <laughs> instead. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Josh. Um, so yeah, we are back. We will be doing this weekly. It will also be uh, a video. And keep an eye on the Blood Red subscribers Facebook page. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just type in Blood Red Podcast and join because uh, we will hopefully be doing a couple more videos on our Blood Red channel around analysing Anfield. Uh, also, a big thank you to everybody who came up to me when I was over in the US. Um, I was in uh, Cadigas Bar doing a couple of live shows with uh, the Anfield Rap and also the LFC fan events. And we had a couple of people come up to us and say uh, how much they enjoy analysing Anfield. Uh, you've got a bit of a following over there, Josh. You're, you're nearly <laughs> as big as the Beatles by the sounds of it. Uh, so if that was you, always give us a, a shout on Twitter. I'm Christian underscore Walsh and, and Josh is Distance Covered. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're back in the saddle now. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Community Shield and preview Liverpool's um, March the 2nd into the Premier League. So thanks very much. Uh, take care for now. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.